Hey everybody, and welcome to It Pays to Fear God. I thank God for this opportunity to once again talk about Him and His exciting plans for us. And in saying that, we're going to be looking at another one of God's principles. God's principle number three, the question of sovereignty. So sovereignty is essentially absolute and supreme power and authority over a territory or an organization or any other kind of body with some kind of purpose. Countries talk about sovereignty, right? The government is supposed to have control over the people and what happens in the land and all that. But we're going to be looking at the sovereignty that is sovereign above the worldly sovereignty. The ultimate sovereignty that matters, especially when we're talking about humanity's history and future it's the position God holds that really makes all the difference. So we're going to be learning about the position God holds, how he is sovereign over everything that goes on in this world. But before I go deeper into that, I just want to ask you a question that you can answer in the comment section below. And that question is, in our time, if we wish to be saved as Christians, what should we be paying attention to? What should be our main focus? So just list two or three things that you think, based on the Bible, should be our main priority or focus in a time like ours. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and hit the notification bell so that you'll be notified when we make future videos just like this. And also, stay to the end because I've got something special for all of you viewers, a kind of prayer. Anyway, let's get back to that subject. God's principle number three, the question of sovereignty. So we're actually going to begin by just kind of exploring the idea of sovereignty when it comes to God. How is God really sovereign? Well, essentially, it means that everything that goes on, it comes because he approves of it. Nothing can happen if God says it can't happen according to Lamentations chapter 3 and verses 37 and 38. And when God says something, it must come to pass. Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. See also Isaiah chapter 14, verse 27. And it means that both the wicked and the righteous are under God's control and can be used for different purposes. King Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4, The Lord hath made all things for himself, even the wicked, for the day of trouble, or for the day of evil. So, we have to see God in that light. It's not that, oh, Satan did this and God couldn't stop it. Humans did this and God couldn't stop it. No, everything that happens, it's because God allows it. And everything that goes on, it will fulfill this purpose in one way or another, according to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. And we're going to be looking at two stories in the Bible that really teach God's sovereignty. The story of Job and the story of Joseph. When we think of those stories, we usually don't think of sovereignty. But in this video, we're going to see how those stories really point to that aspect of God. The fact that he's supreme. He has authority over everything. We'll begin with the story of Job. We'll look at Job chapters 1 and 2 because it helps us understand the fact that even Satan the devil, as big and powerful as he is in heaven, he can't really do anything except God says so. 
Satan came with the other angels of God who were like his sons in heaven, you know, for an assembly and all that. Satan obviously wasn't called because he was cast out of heaven, but he decided to come anyway. And then Joe, then God was like, have you seen my servant Job? There's nobody like him. He has integrity. He fears me and he eschews evil because he loves my principles. And then Satan was like, come on. You know that it's just because you blessed him that he's doing your will. Just give me a chance to show you how he's just doing it because you're blessing him. He's not really doing it because he loves you. Even though Satan was trying to oppose God, he still admitted to the fact that one, everything happens to fulfill his own plan. That is, yes, Job was worshiping him. And for whatever reason he was doing it, he was still worshiping him because it was God's will that Job should do such a thing. And Satan also made it clear that he had to give him the opportunity or the power to do those things to Job. If God didn't allow it, Satan would have no such power. Let's consider Job chapter 1 and verses 11 and 12. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. It helps us understand the fact that God controls everything. Nothing happens except he approves of it. If we skip towards Job chapter 2 verse 3, we can also see how God claims to have done what ended up happening to Job. It wasn't that God physically did it to Job. No, it was Satan who did it, of course, as we all know. But God could say that he was the one who did it because he was the one who allowed such a thing to occur on Job in the first place. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity? although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. He claims to have been the one to go against Job because he feels that he is sovereign. Nothing can happen except he says so and except he approves that such a thing should be done. So that's how the story of Job teaches us about sovereignty. Now let's move on to the story of Joseph. If you look at Genesis chapter 37, you can see Satan at work. He had stirred envy in the hearts of Joseph's brothers so that they would want to get rid of him. The reason why Satan was doing this was because he knew as a spirit being that Joseph was going to be used for something special to save God's children, that is Jacob and his family in the days of famine. So he wanted to use this to cut him off by taking Joseph out so that then they wouldn't survive in those days of famine, but because God is sovereign and what he wants must fulfill, he made sure that Jacob's firstborn son, Reuben, had thought of a different idea, to spare Joseph's life, and then Judah had thought of selling him to the Ishmaelites, that is, to slavery. So now, with what God did, the stage was now set for Joseph to eventually occupy that very high position in Egypt. Obviously, we know the story. He was entered to slavery and all that. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph made it clear to his brothers. At this time, he was like, you know, he was one of the biggest people in Egypt. He was manager over all the resources, and he'd spent the years of plenty collecting everything based on the dreams that God had given him. And in that Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph made it clear to his brothers that you 
intended evil to happen to me. Your intentions were evil against me. But the only reason why God allowed it is because it would advance his purpose in the end. He's sovereign. So you guys were only able to do it because it would eventually advance his purpose in the end. He said, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it all to good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. We need to consider these stories when learning about God's sovereignty because they make it real. Many people, they think about God's sovereignty. They see a text or two that says, oh, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. But they don't really know how it happens. They just know that God is sovereign, but they can't really see it happening in real life. With stories such as the two that we've looked at, we can really see how God's sovereignty works in real life. And now we're going to consider some of those texts, which many of you are already familiar with, which talk about how God is sovereign. He's a king over everything. For example, if you read Psalm chapter 115 verse 3, we can see that God does whatever he wants. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Asaph said in Psalm chapter 75 verse 7, But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. We should understand that God's sovereignty also goes to judgment and justice. That is, when he says something, that is, when he pronounces judgment, you cannot escape that judgment. A typical example of this is in Numbers chapter 26 and verses, 40, and verses 64 and 65. God had pronounced judgment on the Israelites in Numbers chapter 14. Besides Joshua and Caleb, every single person who left Egypt at the age of 20 or older would not see the land of Canaan because of their extreme misbehavior and complaints. And that actually fulfills to the very last man, as I cited in Numbers chapter 26 and verse 64 and 65. It was only Joshua and Caleb who were spared from that because they wholly followed God and his plans. According to Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, verse 30, and chapter 32 from verses 10 to 12. So God's justice and judgment is absolute sovereignty is involved in it. If you also look at Daniel chapter 4 and verses 34 and 35, we can see that Nebuchadnezzar himself, one of the most powerful kings in the world, the king of Babylon, had made it clear that nobody can question God or say to him, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? You should do it a different way. No, God cannot be questioned because he has absolute authority. We'll also consider Psalm chapter 83 verse 18, where it was pronounced that God's name is Jehovah and he rules over everything. That men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. Also, in Psalm chapter 103, verse 19, we can understand God's sovereignty. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. And if we also consider the statements God has made to the Israelites and to others, he really believes that he himself is sovereign. It's one thing for a human being to describe God is sovereign, but it's another thing for God to see himself as occupying that position. For example, if you read Exodus chapter 19 and verses 4 and 5, we can see that God spoke with some kind of authority and sovereignty. He said, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then he shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. That phrase, for all the earth is mine, shows that God owns everything. 
So he controls everything and has authority over everything. Also, if we look at Exodus chapter 3 verse 8, we can see that God told Moses that you are going to lead my children to inherit the lands of the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Hivites and so on. Those are the people living in those lands at the time. God was speaking to Moses as if those lands were just empty. You'll go there and walk right in. But no, those people were powerful. Some of them were giants. They were mighty. They had fortifications, cultures, traditions, religions, gods, everything. As much as the Israelites had once they became a nation. But because God believes he is sovereign and he owns everything and he controls everything, he saw them as nothing. I'll get rid of them and you will inherit their land and serve me in spirit and in truth. Now, I titled the video God's Principle Number 3, The Question of Sovereignty. The question of sovereignty is about the fact that there's somebody in heaven who doesn't like the fact that God is sovereign, that he has absolute power and his word stands. And that person is none other than Satan the devil himself. In Isaiah chapter 14 from verses 12 to 15, it was said that Satan wanted to be like God. He wanted to ascend above the heavens. He wanted to be like the Most High. And to be like the Most High isn't just to be equal with God. He wanted to be above God. He wanted to excel above everything in heaven and rule over the whole world. And we can see in the scriptures and elsewhere his attempts to try to take humanity to himself and to be sovereign over everything. For example, in Genesis chapter 3 from verses 1 to 6, we can see that at the very beginning of God's creation, Satan sowed a seed of rebellion so that he could rule the world. If we read Revelation chapter 12 verse 4, we can also see that he did something similar in heaven. He convinced many of those mighty, powerful angels to join his side of rebellion and revolt against God and his sovereignty. And they begin to cause ruckus both in heaven and in earth. But because God is sovereign, the only reason why he's allowed this is because he believes that people should express themselves, have free will for a certain amount of time, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is set in them to do evil. They feel like, oh, nothing's going to happen in their evil. But because of this, God will now use that to glorify his name and his children earth. And he talked about this in Exodus chapter 9 verse 16 using Pharaoh. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to shew in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. The only reason why Pharaoh had the kind of power and authority he had was so that when he was going to be brought down and humiliated then his name would be glorified. As we see in Exodus chapter 15 when Miriam and the children of Israel rendered a song to praise the Lord. So that is how, regardless of what people try to do to question God's sovereignty, God will crush all opposition and that will only strengthen how he holds such opposition. And the only reason why any of this is important is because in our time, the last days, God is still sovereign. Like I said, it's one of his principles and a principle is something you live by. God lives and takes decisions and does things based on that belief that he is sovereign and everything is under his control. We can see that in our time, the world is becoming more secular and less spiritual. We can see that there are big organizations like the United Nations and others that are kind of moving the world into a direction of we can do everything ourselves, there's no God, we shouldn't believe that God exists, and a bunch of other things in that direction. Moving away from what God wants and moving towards worldly beliefs, 
how to achieve stuff in this world and so on and so forth. So that is essentially what's going on. And many people, it's in fact, it's the last thing to think that God is even involved in that at all. But let me tell you something. He actually is because stuff like the United Nations and other secular bodies like that are really just built for one purpose. So that Satan's spiritual system, you know, that is everything that we've seen over the past 5,000 years of human history, kings so powerful, these big spiritual leaders that are trying to bring the whole world to themselves, they become extremely rich and wealthy, they gang up with political leaders, they essentially create a whole world for themselves and everyone else living on the earth has to serve them and enhance their own lives. That's what's been going on. And stuff like the United Nations are trying to kind of break that down and like kind of take that away so that we are looking more in a direction of freedom and peace and happiness and so on. And obviously it's also so that the children of God can now be free to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to John chapter 4, verse 24, and many other places all over the scriptures. So we should see everything that's happening in our time as Something that God is setting up. And if you look at Revelation chapter 9 verse 4, we can see that a prophecy about the last days shows that God allows secular institutions to come up, rise to power, and you know, take over the world. But he will make sure that the children of God, described there as grass or the green of the earth, they're righteous. He will make sure that the world will not become so secular and worldly and you know rational that People cannot even worship God anymore. He will leave a small remnant. He will make sure that the last days are not too long for the elect's sake, according to Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. So no matter what secular institutions try to do to get rid of spirituality completely, there will be some kind of remnant left because God is sovereign. He controls everything that's going on. He will make sure that the children of God can worship Him even in days of spiritual famine like ours, according to Amos chapter 8 verse 11, the famine of the Lord that's taking place in our time. And in Psalm chapter 37 verse 19, David told us that God will provide in days of famine, both physical and spiritual. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. See also Psalm chapter 33 and verses 18 and 19. In conclusion, we must understand the fact that God is sovereign. He is in control over everything that's going on. Now, we shouldn't see God's sovereignty as, okay, based on the fact that God is sovereign, every little bit of my life when I'm building my house or when I'm getting my car, no. We shouldn't see God's sovereignty in a little individual level like that because many Christians begin to do that. Rather, we should see that God has an everlasting plan for mankind, which is in favor with what the children of God wish for. They wish to be free, to not be persecuted, to be able to serve God freely and with liberty, according to Matthew chapter 6 and verses 9 and 10 and other places in the scriptures. And in other words, that plan which God has set up, which is going to do that for his children on earth, is going to happen no matter what people think about it. Everybody will move in that direction, according to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. And that was why St. Paul told us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Everything will work in their favor in the end because they believe in a God who is sovereign and supreme. 
And that is where I'm going to stop on discussing that subject. God's principle number three, the question of sovereignty. To conclude this episode, let's hear a tune that some of us might enjoy. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for revealing your kingdom to us. Help us to show appreciation for this gift by serving you faithfully for our own good in the end. Have a great day, and God bless you. Oh, one more thing. If you like what you heard today, feel free to share a message at https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Once again, that's https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Hope to hear your wonderful feedback.